As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. Stay tuned to learn more about BTE's tune-up services. Let's take just a minute to discuss motorsports insurance, specifically Larice Motorsports Insurance. If you're anything like me, you know of someone uh, whether it's a friend, someone within your racing family that has lost everything, whether that be through or everything racing related, whether that be via fire or theft, highway accident, on-track accident. And if you're anything like me, you've also realized that you have a significant portion of your net worth tied up in your racing equipment. Maybe more than we would like to admit, right? This is, after all, our passion, and it can become a bit of a money pit. What you may not know is that there are options to insure your racing equipment, race cars, trailers, support equipment, both on the track and off, and that doing so is not as costly as you might expect. To do that for me personally, I chose Larice Motorsports Insurance. They're a great company offering an excellent product and they stand behind it. Now, I've been so impressed with Larice and their commitment to excellence in this regard that we've partnered with them through thisisbracketracing.com. Our own team member, Ashley Thompson, is a licensed broker for Larice Motorsports Insurance. If this is something that you would entertain, that you would like to know more about and or get a quote for your particular op application, contact us. Go to thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote, and Ashley will get back in touch with you. Again, that is thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Right, welcome to or welcome back to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Johnny Ezel and Chris Garrettson <laughs> and the Million Dollar Drag Race. How are you, Big Jed? I am well, Luke. A little worn down. It, uh, it was a fairly short night here before getting up to go to work this morning and I've uh, been playing catch up at work all day. But other than that, I'm, I'm probably feeling a little better than I expected to. Yeah, we are recording uh, full transparency on Monday evening. I just told you off the air that I felt like we just talked because I think you were just <laughs> talking to me when you signed off, like eye on the camera, camera on Jed, closing things out yesterday from the Mickey Thompson Million. And that was literally as we record 17 hours ago. So Probably closer to 18, yeah, but okay. either way, it was, wasn't many. <laughs> not, not enough. <laughs> Obviously, the topic of this show will be million-dollar race reflections. It will take up the bulk of this episode, as well it should, the 24th annual million. But first, Big Jed, before we get to that, a couple of points and updates that we'd like to make. But first, there is a pretty, one of the most prestigious and well-known bottom ball races in the country is coming up this weekend it is the southern footbrake challenge it is in holly springs mississippi jed do you know anything about this event i am somewhat familiar with it luke this is the seventh bte southern footbrake challenge and we're very excited once again holly springs is a wonderful facility you know all paved parking anytime and we'll discuss a lot of that in our million discussion. But anytime you're around these cooler temperatures this time of year and you get one of those all-day rains or something, if you have grass parking, it, it can turn fairly challenging in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, well said. So, you know, we're going to get some rain Thursday morning. It'll get out of there. Holly Springs is uh, an all-paved facility, so there is no sloppy parking. It's a great place. they got hot showers, great concessions an excellent racing surface with knowledgeable people. So we're excited. You know, we're going to get some cooler temperatures than we would hope for, but we've got a good pre-entry crowd. I think the number is at 108 on pre-entries, which is uh, a pretty good number for us there at Holly Springs. We actually opened the gate last year with 72. So we're excited. Think that we're going to see some growth this year. And it ended up big last year, didn't it? Uh, 170 ish. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, if it turns out like that, we're going to be, up there in the 180 plus range, maybe even get to 200. And uh, really excited about that. It's $10,000 a day with a couple of $2,000 gamblers races sprinkled in. The action will start Thursday or tomorrow for those of you listening to the show. This, this will be released on Wednesday. So uh, try to get there if you can. It's a guaranteed purse. I know it'll still be a manageable crowd, even if it's a good one for us. So looking forward to getting five big winners to wrap up some footbreakers years and Definitely excited about having BT on board with us for the seventh year in a row. And that officially means every race that Steve and I have ever promoted since 2007 has been title sponsored by BT. So really excited about that as well, Luke, since, you know, we have a personal relationship with them too. And I um, want to make sure that everybody is aware of their support and they'll have the racer support band there for the racers that are attending. So 
if you need something, they'll be there to support you in person as well. Yeah, and if they don't have it on the van, they are literally right down the road from yeah. the strings. Big Jed, you've got me salivating. You've got me chomping at the bit. I've missed this by about two months. It will not be long. The Vega will be back. I will be back to getting my rear end kicked by the best bottom ball bracers in the country. I can't wait. Luke, honestly, the pictures I've seen of that thing are unbelievable. Can't wait to see it in person. But I, how do you even take that to the burnout box? That is the sweetest freaking Vega. It is unbelievable. And it's so nice and clean and straight. It's, it's going to uh, be rough on you. We keep it really clean here on the podcast, but yeah, it's badass. Because <laughs> I've seen the, the times and years when you just kind of beat on the Vega and she never saw soap and water. And, you know, it just kind of was a tool that you had sitting there and, and you know, you treated it as such. But this, uh, this thing's going to have a lot more, uh, a lot more uh, show quality to it than what it's ever seen. So it's going to be a lot of taking care of that thing. For years and years, the Vega doubled as a center support for my dragster in the trailer. Like you literally just drove the Vega in until it hit the dragster and you shut the door and hope for the best. If that happens going forward, I will cry. I will not say that it will not happen, but if that happens going forward, it will not be a good day. I will cry for you. And anybody that listened to the million late last night knows I'm a crier. So definitely, (laughs) definitely understand your feelings there. Another update, not so much on the pleasant side, if you will uh, remember back about a year ago. No, it was early. It was right before the fling this year uh, in April. We had Kyle Seipel on to tell his story of um, going through cancer at the time we thought beating cancer. Obviously, now we know that it's back. Cancer has appeared in his lungs. As we record this, Kyle and his family are in Houston at MD Anderson. obviously a very fluid situation hopefully we have more optimistic news before you even hear this podcast but um, just wanted to bring everybody up to date there and more than anything shed some light on some fundraising opportunities that the racing community has come together on I don't even know all of the details as to what Kyle and his family are going through financially obviously at this stage you want to fight with everything that you've got for life whether that means an extra month or an extra decade right it's you can't put a price tag on that but obviously the medical industry does put a price tag on that a couple that i have seen marco paravalaris and his family doing some armbands for kyle uh actually bought some of those today i saw that justin lamb's father chris is raffling off some wheels a couple of fundraisers going on i'm sure there are many many more but i would obviously listeners do whatever you want but um, if there is an opportunity to support Kyle and his family, obviously, I would encourage you to do just that. Yeah, very well said, Luke. Uh, just a challenging situation. You and I are part of a little group text with Kyle. <laughs> we got to see, we got to see the the big nasty that we know uh, over the the last few days with the video that he sent. He, I texted with him today. Kyle's mind is right. His fight is strong and large and that's half the battle and we can pick up the other half there's some financial responsibilities that are going to come along with this and on top of the the ones you mentioned Aaron Markham is doing a slot car raffle where the proceeds are going to go to Kyle and you can go to Aaron Markham's page got uh, Theobalds that are having the practice tree event at uh, I think the the division 
Division 7 uh, Lucas Oil event at Vegas, if I remember correctly. And that's going to benefit Kyle as well. And uh, I saw today where someone posted on Facebook, can't remember who it was, that let's make Kyle the uh, payee. Oh, it was uh, Dick Vandermeer, I think. Make Kyle the payee for uh, those running the division race for any winnings you get at the at the event. So there's going to be more come out because that's the the impact that Kyle has made, uh, not only on racing but the the people in racing. And pretty much there's an opportunity for everybody to to go support him and help and do what you can. Not asking for life changing money, but if if we get the amount of people that Kyle has touched or impacted in life to just do something it will go a long long way in in support for what is a challenge I, I hope i never personally have to deal with and i know others feel the same no question i think it not only speaks to uh, the number of lives that kyle's touched and the presence that he had but also the the immense goodness of the racing community so everybody keep it up out there for sure jed you mentioned bte as the title right sponsor of every race that you and steve Stites have put on under the uh, Kohlberg Racing Promotions umbrella. Obviously, BTE also a big supporter of this podcast. And before we get to our million dollar reflections, let's kick this off with this week's BTE Who's Hot. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Now, Jed, we had a little bit of debate here, but there's not much debate. We could have gone with Allison Dahl, obviously deserving. Not only one back-to-back NHRA divisional events to essentially clinch the world championship and record, as Kevin McKenna said last week, possibly the first perfect divisional score in NHRA, the true sportsman classes history, not including the alcohol classes and comp. Uh, she was definitely a candidate, had a couple other candidates, but uh, if you take in totality what the last six weeks, this one's not close. Now, Luke, it isn't... Um... Our friend Matt Dadis has been on quite the tear. Matt has been on a roll for all season. Some of that was as a as a car owner, but lately, starting with that runner-up finish in the Fall Fling 500K, it has only continued to get better for him. Uh, Matt followed that up with a big $10,000 win at Dean Carnes' Boo Banger event. Which whoa, whoa, Jed, Jed, I took notes when we went over this. Obviously, you did not. Uh, of course. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Matt, friend of the podcast. Can we claim podcast bump, by the way? I mean, of course. He's, he's done some of this since he came on with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he has done some of it. Yeah. Matt, we will not shy away from taking credit for this at all. So if you had any thoughts of that, following the the runner-up at the Fall Fling, 500K to Hunter Patton, I think it was the very next weekend. Matt goes out and wins a day off the bottom at the No Box Bonanza at Norwalk. $7,500 win in a different car. Different car, different bulb, different yeah. racetrack, different length. Was, it, was the No Box Bonanza quarter mile or no? I do not. I, I think it's eight mile. Okay. Not a different length. I was trying to give it as much credit for versatility. As I <laughs> Matt then followed that up with a trip to the Boo Banger. Top 10, maybe top five, maybe top three all-time event names, the Boo Banger. I don't even get it. Like, I'm sure it's some kind of inside joke that is over my head, but I like it, the Boo Banger. 
runner up. It's a, it's a Halloween tie-in, and it's you know like a banger, like a like a big whatever. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> runner up in a five grander there at Kilcare. Back to Norwalk for the prestigious Halloween Classic, where uh, I don't even know exactly how that works. He not only won the no box portion, but then won the Grand Championship. Correct. He did. He was the grand champion. And then made his way to the Mickey Thompson Million, where on they all ran together. Was it Wednesday? He's a $15,000 winner over Johnny Ezo. Yes, uh, which obviously is two of the hottest drivers in the nation this year. Um, yeah. Square good looking guys. Yeah, great guys. And uh, Dadis gets it done there and just continues on a roll, you know, doing it on the top bulb, the bottom bulb different cars just he's had it all going on so very impressed with what matt Dattis has done and you're right i did get that all messed up but nonetheless he's winning on a regular basis and continues to so matt dad is very deserving of the bt who's hot this week and it wouldn't surprise me if we are talking about him again soon he's, he's still got a lot of racing left in him this year yeah and keep in mind those are five big final round appearances Maybe in five consecutive weeks. Like, definitely five out of six if it's not, right? Just a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous string. Yeah, it couldn't have been more than six weeks or so since the 500, yeah. Right. So, yeah. again, Matt does that, Matt Dadis, much deserving. If we did this every week, we probably could have given it to him multiple times. But uh, definitely the cumulative effect, no doubt, uh, deserving of this week's BTE Who's Hot. That is Matt Dadis. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. Do you want to become a better racer? Are you interested in expanding your knowledge of our sport? If so, thisisbracketracing.com is the place for you. Thisisbracketracing.com houses well over 300 training resources on literally every topic that you could imagine as it pertains to sportsman drag racing. We have trainings dedicated toward improving reaction time, toward uh, sharpening your skills at the finish line, toward increasing your mental game, uh, tech and torque converter carburetors you name it and much much more best of all on your first visit to thisisbracketracing.com we award you with one training of your choice for free 
Again, that's the best part. It is your choice. So whatever it is that you are interested in and want to focus on, we have a training for you. It's yours for free. To check it out, just go to thisisbracketracing.com and click the Start Here button on the homepage. All right, Big Jeb, once again, we have buried the lead. We're 20 minutes in before we get to Million Dollar Reflections. I wasn't there. First time in 20 years, I did not make this year's Million Dollar Race. Big Jed, you were your impressions of the event as a whole. Well, Luke, it was probably, I didn't go the year that uh, they moved from Indy to Muncie kind of you know, overnight, but probably the weirdest million that I've been involved in. Been doing this for quite a few years with folk promotions, and uh, this was the most challenging weather a week that I've spent there with them and that just kind of kept everything unknown you know it was just so much weather forecast versus what was actually happening versus you know people offering what they think should happen and it just it seemed to have everybody going many different directions but ultimately they got it all done every winter was crowned and it worked out great but uh, it was a it was definitely a challenging week. If I could summarize my impression of it, it was just challenging. Yeah, and you're in a unique position because you're there competing as a racer. You're there behind the scenes, behind the mic, and obviously, at least to some extent, a part of the decision-making process or have a closer view to that than most. So I always think that your perspective in these situations is unique and extremely interesting. And to your point, it's it, it will never, having been through the Indy to Muncie, there will never be a more bizarre million. Right? <laughs> yeah, so, but weather-wise, my wife and I were actually talking about this last night. Like, I don't really remember ever having a really challenging weather week at the million. Maybe I've stricken that from my memory, but nothing like what you guys went through down there where everything has to be manipulated and moved and the situation seems so very fluent. That's hard on you as a racer but I can only imagine the stress that it was putting on the staff as well. So definitely a difficult situation to deal with. We'll get more into that a little bit later on, but Jed, let's start with the only place to start the man of the hour this year's the 24th annual million dollar race winner, Mr. Dave triplet. Yeah. Luke, obviously and when we'll discuss these things at length, but you know, Dave making his third trip to the final round at the million, no matter had he won any of them or not, uh, that's a very impressive feat yeah. to accomplish. And, you know, I know Dave pretty well. We talk on occasion and uh, he actually eyed the trophy that uh, was in the conference room down there where everybody gathers, pay their entries in the bottom floor of the tower. He eyed that early in the week and told Jenny that that's going to look really good beside his 2008 champion trophy from the million and you know it's that's not cocky or overconfident that's just a guy that believes in himself and understands he knows the path to the final round and to victory and he proved it I mean prepares his stuff very well he drives very well and when he needed to drive he did and when he needed to trust the hot rod he did and worked out extremely well for him uh, it, was, it was quite impressive to watch triplet who already is in million dollar race hall of fame probably sportsman drag racing hall of fame just cemented that legacy as you mentioned 
he becomes the first driver in the history of the million dollar race to appear in three million dollar race final rounds he's now two and one with obviously the win this season over tim thomas who's also had a heck of a 2019 and you mentioned his 2008 victory which was trivia time over aaron markham it was on the slack sheet in front of you wasn't it yes okay well i would have never gotten that and aaron and i were chatting over the weekend in fairness i had to look that up this morning too (laughs) and then Wins in 2019, wins in 2008, runner-up in 2013 to Kenny Underwood. That win back in 2008 was behind the wheel of a long skinny car, if you remember, in Memphis, different facility. The runner-up in 2013 in the venerable Vega at Montgomery, and obviously this year's win in the Vega at Montgomery. And I think even taking a step beyond his million dollar race history, which is now unprecedented. You know, I mean, there's only, there's, there's two others that have won it twice. It's interesting now that for the longest time, for a decade, I think, Gary Williams was the only racer to have won two million dollar races. Now you can't win the million unless you've won it before. <laughs> That's what Kenny Underwood did last year. That's what Dave Triplett did this year. And although Underwood calls Ohio home these days, he's from Florida. and all That's three, true. All three two-time winners are from the state of Florida, which is there's actually a really strong history of Floridians getting it done at that race. When you combine those guys with Ed Richardson, with Troy Williams Jr., um, Siegel's had a couple of deep runs in the million. Claude DeBonis has been in a million-dollar race final. I'm probably leaving out one or two more, but for the, the limited number of racers who travel from Florida, they've showed very well for themselves at the yeah. million-dollar race. Back to, to Triplett, his legacy, I think, is one of just like a high stakes pressure performer. And that's not just from the million back before he started winning million dollar races. I tried to do some research this morning and pull up the data, but Dave Triplett's claim to fame prior to winning his first million was all he did was win division two bracket finals. I think he has at least three of those on the mantle from decades ago now, but that's just kind of further speaks to when all the chips are on the table. Uh, Dave Triplett is the guy that you want to, he's, he's your horse, right? He's the guy that you want to put money on. And I was just trying to think of other pressure performers. Obviously it's easy to, to come to mind the high stakes of the million. So you think of people that have been in multiple million dollar race finals, obviously Gary Williams, I think is the ultimate high stakes performer was we've been over this several times, but up until what last year, Gary was like nine and oh in final rounds that paid $30,000 or more. It doesn't get more clutch than that. I don't. But uh, Jeff Rooks, pair of million dollar race finals. Jeff Birdie, obviously, the back to back million dollar wins. Joel Reynolds, been in a couple million dollar race finals. Then I was trying to think beyond the million. Randall Reed comes to mind. A guy that has obviously won the Spring Fling million, has won the bracket finals, doesn't race a whole lot with us, but when he does, it's for something worth winning, and he typically wins. Jeff Heffler comes to mind because he's won like 82. Division four bracket finals. I guess Seipel would be another one that, that would fit into that mold just on the bracket final side. Who sticks out to you as the as a pressure performer? Well, obviously the the greats in the sport that we talked about the last time we were together, Luke. That you know that's a that's an easy list to to go down. The, the Scotties, the Peters, uh, yourself, the King, Edmund, uh, those guys. But when I think about people that step up when the pressure's on, you know, I, I think about people like Jason Lynch. Uh, I think about a guy that I talk about a lot on the show, Brad Plourd. You can give Brad just about anything and he'll go out there and be competitive. Uh, doesn't let 
the moment or pressure get to him. And on the bottom, when you, you know, you start thinking about guys like Nick Hastings just really doesn't ever make bad runs and miss it. Uh, Kevin Pollard that made his way to uh, 11 cars in the million, or I guess it was 21 cars. Might've been 11. I can't, it was 11, I think, but anyway, that's just incredible. He would drove from Virginia Saturday, Luke. Really? He, He drove from Virginia Saturday knowing that he could get in the show on Sunday because of the, the, wow. you know, postponed or, or delayed first round. And he was foot breaking <laughs> and he gets to the million and goes to 11 cars. Very possibly angle stage. <laughs> Very possibly. You got to watch KP. He'll do that. Uh, so, you know, you think about guys like that and, and so many bottom bulbers, you know, Rick bear, uh, a guy that I've watched perform at a very high level for a long, long time. Uh, doesn't let the pressure get to him either. Um, those are the kind of racers you got to go out and beat. They're not going to do it to themselves. True. Very true. And I was ready, Big Jed, to just go on with the narrative of it's a young man's game. Right? We've been down <laughs> that road before. Yeah. And because – I look at it this year. I actually just, I don't know why we didn't use this term earlier, but for this particular season, 2019 season of, of big dollar bracket racing, there've been four majors, right? Talk about the four majors in golf. Well, obviously the four majors are the four huge purse events, the spring fling million, SFG 500, the fall fling 500, and now the Mickey Thompson million dollar race. And prior to Montgomery, the first three majors of the year, the elder statesman, the oldest winning driver was Pete Pennington, who I believe is 28 years old. He was joined mm-hmm. by Gage Birch, who's still in his teens, Hunter Patton in his mid-20s. Score one for the old guys, Big Jed. Dave Triplett just turned 50. As a guy that's closer to 50 than his late teens, I like that. I, I, I like scoring one for the quote-unquote old guys. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Dave has been doing it with the same hot rod for quite some time as well. But, you know, the, you think how the round was interrupted, you sit through the rain, there's a Saturday night party, and you got to get up Sunday and get back after it. The thing dragging out mentally and physically over a couple of days, it's supposed to lend itself to a young man or young woman getting it done. But obviously age and knowledge and experience won out this time with Dave getting the big win. You know, I thought about this a little bit yesterday, and the first instinct is to say exactly what you said. Like, it gets that drug out, and it's been such a long week, and it's hard on you mentally and physically, like the edge would go to the younger guys. I think you could make the argument, too, and I mean, it's easy now to, to argue uh, the, the narrative as it's over, but that there is a ton of value in experience, and having been there and done that specifically in this event, because the emotions are familiar. The, while David never won one that had been stretched into Sunday and, and postponed, like, you know what to expect. And I just think specifically in a race of that magnitude, and like, I almost think that, and we'll get into it a little bit, you know, this was another year, yet another year of the million dollar race where the, the end of the million was a little bit anticlimactic. Like it didn't have the at track atmosphere specifically of the millions of years past, right? Because it's so late in the weekend and everyone's gone. I almost think that that 
matters more to someone that hasn't been there to someone that has, I think you could take it either way and just be like, okay, we're still racing for a ton of money. This is still the one race each year that I really want to win. Like, I just think it's easier to put that in perspective for someone like triplets who's been through that battle for, I think I'm sure he's been going for 20 plus years. I don't really remember him missing one and specifically has been that deep in the race that many times. Yeah, I, and I definitely see that point of view and, and agree with it to a certain extent. When you're talking about a guy like Triplett, who I know, pref, you know, prepares well mentally, physically, uh, he's going through a transformation in his body. He said he was getting sluggish over the last couple of years, and now he's in a, on a workout program, lost some weight, and he does these things to make sure that he's as sharp as he can be. Not not just in racing, but in life. But racing is definitely a huge part of that for him. I say that, and I'll come behind it and say these is only the fifth time he's raced all year. Uh, and he wow. comes out and wins the million. But that's just the kind of guy he is. He's just a big game player. And, you know, he, he's not looking to, to fish in, a, you know, the small pond, so to speak. And he likes fishing for really big fish. And by all means, he typically catches them. Yeah, no question. All right, coming into this, we had three big stories from the million. Obviously, number one, Mr. Dave Triplett. Number two, and I don't mean to skip past Tim Thomas here, because as we just mentioned, Tim Thomas, runner-up in the million, was also deep in the 30 grander, also just recently won a 30 grander at Bristol, um, has had an incredible season, and specifically an incredible last couple of months. So I don't mean to underplay that at all, but the next big story for me from the million was not the runner-up, but the semifinalist. Your, your brother, <laughs> Mr. Pennington, Mr. Peeps. Pennington. Yeah. He, uh, Luke, I mean, talk about a guy that shows up on the big stages and a guy that doesn't get to race quite as much as, as a lot of other people do. I mean, Peeps has just – this guy's torn it up this year, and – Obviously, that would have put it over the top. He would have went straight birdie on them and, and got both of them, and that would have been huge. But even coming up a little short there and getting a semi, and, and we'll talk about it. It's obviously in your notes, but a phenomenal year, and it's not his first great year. I mean, he, he's, he's done it many times. No, Peeps has definitely become one of the guys that you can depend on year in, year out to, to put up unbelievable performances and i think to our earlier conversation he is becoming one of those guys that you can depend on when all the chips are in the middle just 2019 alone and you mentioned triplet's been out five times this year the penningtons haven't been on the road like they have been in the past like i would imagine peeps has raced more than five times but it ain't much more and you go back to the four majors okay they didn't make the trip to michigan but they went to the other three at Vegas, obviously, we had Peeps on the podcast. He won the Spring Fling Million in the Family Roadster. At Bristol, major number three, but number two for them, he won the 30 grander prior to the $500,000 to win main event behind the wheel of his dragster. Fast forward to Montgomery, he's down to three cars again in the Family Roadster. I don't care what you've done the rest of the season. Those three showings are the stuff of legend. Yeah, and that was actually in the dragster. I'm sorry, yeah. that's right. Yep. Yeah, you said in the roster, but you obviously knew it's in your notes. You knew it as the dragster just misspoke. But, yeah, nonetheless, he, he's he's a guy that either either car, and, and they prepare those cars very well, and you can just see how good they are. Either car, he's 
very capable of winning in. Um, there's no difference to him. His his weapons are excellent, no matter which one he chooses. But I guess the thing I love the most about Peeps is, you know, I talked to him after the race, and you know, bud, sorry about that. It obviously got a little more striped than he wanted to, and he said, you know, Jed, when I heard you speech there before the the semis, and he was talking about, you know, what's happening with Kyle, and he said, in the whole scheme of things, it's not that big a deal come up short obviously you want to win but for a young guy that expects to win his perspective is is pretty solid it really is you you've talked to him you know that and when you interview him you know he's like well you know it just went my way and uh, it's a good day at the racetrack he you know he's he's just got a really good perspective and his honesty is is refreshing he he told me he said you know i felt like i was going by him he thought well i made that good and close and it was 18,000, which in our world today is not good and close. Uh, but he was just honest, you know, it's what it looked like to me. And it was just, it turned out different than what it looked like. So I, I just, it's just very refreshing the way he approaches things at such a young age. Given the, the parity and competitiveness of sportsman drag racing in general, and then particularly at the highest level, I find it pretty incredible, this trend that Peeps just continued. Because if you remember back to 2016, obviously the year that will go down in history, there were $2 million races won by one man. Jeff Verde won at Vegas. Then, what, six months later, won at Montgomery. Did the absolute unthinkable. Like, we'll be talking about that 40 years from now, I would think, Jed. Hopefully we're still around to do that. Two years later. Last season, 2018, Randall Reed wins the Spring Fling Million, advances all the way to the semifinals at Montgomery out of 300-plus of the best racers in the country. Incredible accomplishment. Peeps comes back this year, does the exact same thing. After winning Vegas, advances to the semifinals in Montgomery. I just I think that that is the odds of doing something like that are really long, and for it to happen now three years out of four is nothing short of remarkable. I agree. You know, I I said it all along. Peeps is trying to go Verdi on them and win both. And, you know, when you watch those type things happen, you're still in awe of it. And you can't, I could never let myself believe that someone would do it again because I never thought it would be done in the first place. And Verdi did it year one. But look, there must be something to it that, that provides you the, the experience and the the ability to deal with everything that's happening within the talks of the splits and the attention that it starts to get and all that. After you accomplish that on one level, maybe it just gets you all prepared where you're able to handle it going forward. I don't know. I mean, obviously you've been there, so you would know much better than I. There's definitely a confidence that goes along with it. And keep in mind, you know, we just said three of the last four. The one weak link there was yours truly. I didn't do anything at the Montgomery Million. I got a best losing package award uh, <laughs> second round, I think, following my, my win at Vegas. But I will say this. I think just from a complete psychological standpoint, specifically in the same calendar year, I almost think that there is a significant advantage to approaching that second million as a bit of a free roll. Because you're like, what, I mean, what's the worst that could happen here? I freaking won. 
six months ago. You know what I mean? Sure. And I just, I think that that eases a lot of the pressure that normally comes along with the million. So that'd be the one thing that I would say, like, if there is something tangible to hold on to, maybe, maybe that's it. Speaking of Peeps personally, and I know we, we have talked repeatedly about him being a, a big money player. Um, he hasn't won the million, but I don't know that anyone has been to the split more often in the last five to eight years than Peeps. I know that's his second semifinal. I can remember at least two other occasions where he got to the point where the, the drivers have a little meeting in the staging lanes, and I think we can all attest, like, that's the meeting you really want to be a part of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get there myself for a while and <laughs> keep coming up short, but uh, you're right. He's, he just uh, has come up short of getting that final round victory or even making the final round in the original million, if you will. But uh, it obviously has performed about as well as anyone of late just continues to, to be in the mix. And no doubt in my mind, he's going to get his name on that list sometime in the near future. All right. Our first two big points focused on racers, on Dave Triplett, Peeps Bennington. For our third point, we're going we're gonna to helicopter out just a little bit and take a little bit more of a, a macro view of the million. And we touched on this a little bit coming in, but obviously some really, really challenging weather conditions that went along with this weekend. And it was, as we take this way, and it, those of you longtime listeners know that I particularly did, was, was fairly critical of the million following last year's uh, event. You can go back and listen to that podcast. Bottom line is like, this is the second time in as many years that the million dollar champion wasn't crowned until late Sunday. Although again, you were there and I was not this time. It did seem a lot more unavoidable. Like there was a lot of rain come through Montgomery, Alabama over the course of that. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Uh, again, as I mentioned uh, early in the show, it was the biggest weather-challenged million-dollar race that I've been a part of. And, you know, I know that people sit back, and, and they were full of them in the pits and full of them online, uh, what you would have done, should have done, could have done. The armchair but, promoter, right? Yeah, and, and I get that because uh, I got my hand raised at the moment, done the exact same thing. But you just never could understand it until you're faced with it and it's all riding on your shoulders. Now, having been in that situation, granted on a much, much smaller level, like I know that there are a ton of variables and considerations to keep in mind. And I realize that given that changing forecast, like everything is fluid. I will say this. I watched, I was pretty well glued to you, Jed, for fifth round on in the million on Sunday. Prior to that, I was very, very casual throughout the weekend. I would chip in maybe once a day, watch for a few minutes, see what was going on. And as such, I was in constant confusion, basically, to what was going on throughout the week. Now, I would assume, had I been there and keeping up with it, you know, the weather being fluid, everything would have made more sense. But I can just, like, I, I tuned in at one point, and I'm like, wait, they're in the middle of the round, and somebody's making a time trial. And then I tuned in at one point, expecting, thinking I was watching, like, second round of the million, because the last I knew that the plan was to start the million Friday evening. And I watched for, like, 10 minutes before I realized that it was second round of the 30 grander that I didn't think was going to run. Like, I was just confused. And like I say, had I been there or been keeping up with it closer, I'm sure that it wouldn't have seen so 
odd. You know, I mean, the, the, the decisions would have made more sense, basically, because you see exactly what they're faced with. But I think that just illustrates how fluid, how difficult the situation was over the course of the five days. Is that accurate? Very, very accurate. And uh, being there on the premises and, and um, being part of uh, Folk Promotions Brain Trust, you know, I do get a, a unique perspective as to what is happening and the decisions that are being made. I can tell you that I'm very proud of folk promotions and that every decision they made was an attempt to put the racer in the best position they could put them in. There was never any thought of, well, this will cost this or this will cost that or we could do this and make this. And never any discussions like that. And Luke, this is the first year that, that it had a guaranteed purse. and. and uh, I'm not not a guaranteed person, but a guaranteed 250,000. You know, the, the guarantee was the highest it's ever been, and the weather was the most challenging it's ever been. So, you know, it didn't lend itself. The weather didn't to the most amount of entries. So, the human side of us would definitely have the calculator out and start, you know, trying to figure out how we make this thing work. But uh, I will be completely honest and transparent and tell you that was never part of Randy's thought process. The, the thought process was how do we get all of these winners, every winner that we promised, how do we get it to happen? And, you know, by all means, I'm sure they learn some things that, that they won't do over again. But, you know, when you take a bad path to work, you don't really know it's bad until it's bad. And then you figure out you don't go that way anymore and they learn some paths that they won't go down anymore but by the for the most part I, I think they did a really good job of just working hard to get every winner that that they had promised they'd get yeah it's it's interesting that you say that because I hadn't really thought about it until maybe early this morning prepping for the show but to your point this was the first year that the the guaranteed portion of the million doubled right it was always 125 grand guaranteed and then went up with car counts the year was 250 and i think we may have even discussed this on the show like that went completely under the radar simply because nobody i would assume promoters included ever thought that it would pay 250 grand to win like yeah. we all just assumed that there would be enough cars to bump the purse up and it would be similar you know in in the the purse structure and ladder to what we've seen for the last two decades basically Definitely. and that didn't happen like it actually paid the minimum and i think in retrospect it's really um like a good thing to put on randy and that crew that they just went out and guaranteed that and we're willing to stick with it to your point you had said at one point that there was like 120 entries in the million and it was time to roll i don't want to look at that calculator because that wasn't good no it was not good and um <laughs> you know it's when I told when, you know, Randy and Jenny, they always come to me whenever there's a decision to be made and just, you know, as a sounding board again. And I told them when I make this announcement, look, I'm going to make sure everyone understands that this will be the most guarantee the millions ever had. And the least amount of cars this thing has seen since the Indy to Muncie transition. So racers, if you're even thinking about it, this is going to be your quickest path to 250 grand, probably in the history of racing ever again. So I said, you know, I think it's important that I relay that to the, to the people listening. So we, we try to 
generate some interest and entries out here. And, you know, it was a little bit out of their comfort zone to talk about low car counts and those things, but people needed to hear it. They needed to hear that this, there's a quarter million dollars sitting here and it's going to be the smallest crowd you're going to race for it, period. It, you know, it, it actually ended up working out pretty good. Right. Yeah. No, kudos for that, though. I, th- I think that that's admirable in and of itself. Now, as we zoom out a little bit, look at big picture here, because I'm a huge fan of this event. Like it, it still has that prestige and the history and George Howard and then ultimately Randy, like they, they committed to this long before anyone else ever would have. And I think that there's something to that. But the million dollar race for 20 years was the only bracket race of its kind, like the only event that paid anywhere near the kind of money that it guaranteed and then fully exceeded year in and year out. It's not like that anymore. Okay. There is huge competition in the big dollar bracket promotion market. We just talked about the four majors of 2019 and it looks as though the stakes are going to continue to go up in 2020. And specifically from a racer standpoint, this is awesome. Competition is great. Like it forces everyone to raise their game. But as I said before, I'm a fan of the original million. It still holds a place in my heart. And as such, there's two things that really stick out to me as a, as a bystander. Uh, and that's all I was this weekend was a, was a bystander watching at home, just like a lot of you listening. The first is that it's obviously a really competitive market for big dollar bracket races. And to me, the selling point of the original million dollar race what separates it from anything else is the history and the prestige. But I fear that the prestige is dying and has been dying for a couple of years. This was the main focus of my rant a year ago. It has to be a bigger deal. Now, in the glory days, like I, we talked this morning, I, I had to pull up who did Dave Triplett race in the final round in 2008. And I clicked on the YouTube video and it's at Memphis and it was, it was late in the evening, but I think it was before midnight, if I remember correctly. And it was just packed. Like seemingly everyone at the facility was on the starting line or in the, in the bleachers to watch the final round of the million. And that's what I remember. That's the way it's always been. I think about Johnny Ezel and Jason Lynch and when they ran in the final just a few years ago, and it was the most surreal scene. Like it looked like something from Big Chief and, and Kai Kelly, like just riding, rolling through this sea of people that parts as they pull into the, fi- to pull into the water for the final round. Like the coolest scene you could imagine. And you compare that now, again, this season, trying circumstances, not sure that there was any way around it. But for the last two years now, the the, the million dollar race winner has been crowned late on a Sunday night where I'm not going to say nobody cares because with the live feed, like I was tuned in I'm, as I assume thousands of others racing fans and racing enthusiasts were across the country. But you look at Dave Triplett's winner circle picture. I counted them this morning. There's 21 people in the picture and half of those were staffers. It was you and Randy and Jenny. You know what I mean? Like it just, he had his crew there around with him, but this used to be something that you celebrated with the entire racing community and the money just 250 grand, like it's a quarter million dollars. That's huge. I don't care if we're talking 1998 or 2019, that's a lot of money, but $250,000 to win doesn't command the attention alone the way that it did 10, really even five years ago. 
And I just feel like the prestige is what had always separated the million. And that I think now other racers, other events have surpassed them. And I feel like that is one area where the million dollar race could gain a lot of ground, making winning the million more into what it was a decade ago. And go ahead, Jed. Well, look, I, I totally understand that perspective and I will, will not say you're wrong in any shape, form or fashion. We all know I'm a homer and, and I defend, not that, that you're creating a, an environment where they need defending, but I defend the people that I work for because I'm so close to them. And I, again, I'm, I'm typically blessed to be part of their brain trust that they value my opinion. So the difference in the original million right now and those events that you mentioned is, is one simple word and it's promotion. So we see promotion for those events on a daily basis. We really do months and months ahead of time. And it creates that, it creates that environment that, that you're talking about. It, it creates that anticipation of the event that you're talking about where I think the million is living on its history and you know it's the million it's the original million and and still many many people want to be there people dream of getting there whether it's the biggest race anymore or not it's still the original million and next year be 25 and who doesn't want their name next to that 25 on the flyer when it comes out so the difference is just life folk promotions is a is a very good outfit that cares a lot about the racers but jenny's just had a baby I'm about to say something I thought I would never say on this podcast, but there were multiple times throughout the weekend and Jenny is a huge part of the promotion effort and a part of the organization of this event multiple times throughout the weekend that we would need her for something, but she was unavailable because she was getting milk for the baby. And I, I'm not saying anything. I know that's going to embarrass her because that's a that's a wonderful thing that that a woman can do for their child. It's a, it's actually a beautiful thing that that they're blessed to be able to do. But just life is taken over for folk promotions, and probably this year just didn't get the the bang, or the last couple of years hasn't got the bang through their promotion effort that they need to create that excitement that you're talking about. But I, I would say this, I think it's still there. I think the care is still there. We just got to, or they just have to get it out in front of people and get it in their face. Like these other events are there. It's happening every day. You seeing something on one of these other million dollar races. Yeah, no, I think all of those points are fair, Jed. And I do agree with you that the the potential is absolutely still there. Like I still think the original million, just that title packs a punch. And to your point, like, I realize that there are definitely other priorities in life. And I really do think, or at least I got the impression coming in and and have had these conversations. We had this conversation with Randy when he came on the show last year. I feel like they are trying to make more of a point of this. And again, everything kind of got derailed this year with with the weather and things like that. Like, I'm not, not necessarily rallying against them. I'm just saying, like, I feel like there's untapped potential there that I hope that they get back to in 2020 with the 25th annual really make that a big, big deal. Jed, we made our predictions last time that we came on about car count and obviously we both overshot it a fair amount. I think more due to weather than anything, but I wanted to revisit that for the million. 
I predicted 331 entries. You predicted 309. Obviously, we both overshot that significantly and ended up at 225. For the biggest surrounding event, I predict we got closer. I predicted 540. You went 575. The 230s combined that actually paid $60,000 to win, it was won by Shane Carr, uh, had 510. So the car count was there, at least at some point during the week. Obviously, weather and other factors made the million itself lower. I don't know that weather's the only factor. Do you feel like, and this is something that I think a lot of people feared coming in, and now it feels more like reality. I, I mean, I can say from personally that this played a role for me is just where it fell on the calendar and being the last of the quote unquote four majors. Yeah, there's no doubt that had something to do with it. Uh, I think, um, you know, and I was talking to, I was talking to AJ Ash uh, at the event and he talked about the same thing. Like racers have an opportunity now to miss what has typically been a once in a, a year, once in a lifetime opportunity for some. They can miss that and a couple of months down the road, they can go do it somewhere else. Yes. So yes, being the last one definitely has is, is had an effect on them. And you're about to talk about another thing that had an effect on the event, knowing what weather was out there. But I think this is probably as much as anything. Yeah, and again, like I don't mean to, to rail against the folks or the staff at Montgomery Motorsports Park. I think it's an awesome place to race, run by really good people. But I think when you compare it in that competitive landscape, I think there's a glaring difference between the original million and the other quote-unquote majors, and that's facility. Like, listen, here, it rained for the better part of a week. And as we mentioned earlier, as I so eloquently put it, that sucks. And it pretty much sucks wherever you're racing anywhere in the right? I actually thought it was funny. My, my wife brought this up this weekend. Like when we get towed into the mud to park at an NHRA national event, like everybody posts that all over social media. Like look at how we're getting treated. But the fact is if it rains for the week prior to any event, you're probably going to pull into the mud, right? It was obviously no different at Montgomery. That happens just about everywhere. Doesn't happen everywhere. It doesn't happen where it's a mega facility that's basically all pavement. You mentioned Holly Springs. Holly Springs is all pavement. There's a lot of tracks like that that wouldn't house an event of this magnitude. There are a few. And by and large, they happen to be at the competing races, at the other majors. Bristol, everyone's on pavement. Vegas, everyone's on pavement. And it typically doesn't rain. A couple others that came to mind, I've never been to Charlotte, but it is my understanding that everything's on pavement there. Yes. I don't know if South Georgia necessarily has the room for 500 plus cars, but virtually everything there would be pavement. Gateway up in my area, assuming that the circle track was open, is just about everybody on pavement and could house a bunch of cars. Again, like of the four majors, Montgomery is the outlier. And it's not a knock on Montgomery. Awesome place to race. But when you're talking about 400, 500, 600 cars, especially when weather conditions are not perfect, it's not pleasant, right? There's maybe 100 rigs on pavement, maybe. Not Probably not that. No. And, uh, yeah, just becomes a really, really trying uh, weekend. And, and, again, there's only a handful of facilities that can comfortably accommodate that. But I think that's by and large 
why you see these races being at those handful of facilities. The, obviously, the three majors, Vegas, Bristol, and Martin. Martin doesn't have as much paved parking, but it's huge, and everything at least has a road to it. Like, it's a much better situation than Montgomery. I'll say that. Yeah, and, and as you said, wonderful place to race. Montgomery's huge facility, and they continue to find a way to get those five and 600 cars in there each year. But there's a the, another huge difference, Luke, is when you're running an event in summertime or late spring conditions where you've got 80-plus degree, sometimes 90-plus degree weather versus fall weather in Alabama that's unpredictable you're starting to get some of those 45 degree nights and the slow warm up to 68 to 72 degrees in the in the daytime well the ground just doesn't recover Mm -hmm. yeah you're just not trying anything out so you know you can get by with that even in better temperatures but you're not going to get by with that when you get those slow moving fronts that put down a half inch plus of rain with those kind of temperatures and Montgomery fell victim to that uh, this weekend. It was it was a pretty sloppy place. I uh, did not hear a lot of rigs getting stuck. They've got pretty good ground there, but just the path, especially when your crowds, you know, even anywhere decent, there's a lot of travel on the path to the to the staging lanes, and that path was pretty sloppy. It was pretty ugly, and that's again not a knock on Montgomery. It's a great facility, but. You start talking about those crowds, Luke, as you said, that that just creates many, many challenges, and uh, it it definitely had its impact on the the million this year. No question. All right, Jed, let's wrap this show up with a nice, tidy bow. We've talked a lot about the events, focused on a handful of people. I thought it would be worth mentioning the winners from the entire, really, week and a half at Montgomery. Uh, they actually started the week prior with a trio of warm-up races. It's my understanding. Feel free to correct me as we go. Those were won by Lester Atkins, Josh Lukey, and Severn Johnson. As we transitioned into Million Dollar Week and uh, the five events that then became four events within it, we touched on Matt Dadis getting the win over Johnny Ezel on day one. Two 30-granders were combined into a 60. That was won by Shane Carr over Paul Rich. Obviously, we had Dave Triplett over Tim Thomas in the million. And then the Sunday nightcap with Tebow, Tyler Bohannon, getting the $30,000 win over David Bird Jones. Did I miss anything? You nailed it. Luke, that was it. Um, Very well done. That was all off memory, too. No notes. Wow. That was really strong. Yeah, I was ready to mess something up there. I was trying to stay on top of that as you were saying it, and I was like, "Yeah, this, yeah." So I didn't even get it all. Didn't even get all that, and you did it with no notes. So very well done, professional. I'd like to mention too that uh, along with all the other great things that happened at the Million, Cliff Carr won the uh, Overkill Motorsports Golf Cart, which is a really cool prize. That's a ten thousand dollar prize that that they just give away. And the dragster chassis in the VIP million was won by Jared Fulcher out of uh, Indiana. So there were some other uh, pretty cool winners that I thought needed to be uh, mentioned for the things that they were able to, to pick up there at the race. Good stuff, Big Jed. So we've got SFC this weekend, Southern Footbreak Challenge for the bottom sure. bulb crowd. Also the SFG, is that the Powerball? 
$200,000 win guaranteed coming yeah. to Arlington. So something for the top, something for the bottom, something for the NHRA crowd as that heads to Vegas. And uh, we begin to get a clearer yet view of this season's world champions. So big weekend in sportsman drag racing. We'll be back next week uh, to talk more about that and the weeks following. Thank you guys for tuning in. I didn't really keep up with shouts. You got any shouts, Jed? No shouts that, that uh, come to, to my mind at the moment other than um, continue to keep Big Nasty in your thoughts and prayers and go find one of those places or people that we mentioned earlier in the show and uh, do whatever you can for him. Uh, nobody's asking for anything specific, just whatever's in your heart and whatever you're available and able to do. By all means, well said, my man. And uh, we'll catch up with y'all next week. See you guys. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bumping for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.